the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Has the hibernating bear finally emerged from its cave? Certainly it's been a wild week or so on Wall Street. Many things related to interest rates, inflation, the reaction by investors. All of this, of course, putting downward pressure recently on the markets and raising concern amongst folks about their future. What happens to those retirement dollars sitting on Wall Street? With some insight, Pat Vitucci. And Pat, we've seen a a jumpy ride here in the equities, and we have to wonder whether or not there's some sort of a nasty surprise lurking in the background. How deep is the correlation between interest rates, inflation, and Wall Street's reaction? Give us some sense of what's going on here. Well, let's look at the backdrop of where we've been. We've got nearly a 10-year bull market run, so that suggests that a correction of some magnitude is around the corner. Having said that, President Trump's policies have been nothing but superlative. I mean, you look at unemployment numbers, you look at inflation numbers, you look at GDP numbers, they're off the charts, spectacular, some as better than nearly 50 years ago. Now we throw in all the headwinds and the all the backdrops. So we've got, in my view, the tariffs are probably one of the biggest issues. And fortunately, Trump has renegotiated successfully with Canada and Mexico. The big gorilla in the room is China. As we know, Chinese folks are very tough negotiators. In my view, they have taken advantage of our economy and past presidents of both parties have allowed that environment to exist. You're charging us 30% to bring our stuff into your country, and we're charging you 2% to bring your stuff into our country. So maybe 30 years ago, Craig, I think that made sense. They were a small, growing industrial country. But move the clock forward 30 years, and we've got a $21 trillion debt load. We've got China. That's the second largest economy on the planet. We'll soon be the largest economy on the planet. I think they're at a stage, they've been at a stage, quite frankly, for years, where they don't need that kind of help any longer. Other emerging countries, we still provide billion-dollar gifts to each year. We still have an imbalance in trade tariffs, and that makes sense to motivate these underdeveloped countries to build and grow stronger, and and then they become real trading partners, and then we would wean them away as we have done or should have done with China. So here we are at a stalemate. Some say this will go on for years, this economic cold war with China. Having said that, the Chinese economy is down, last I looked, something like 22%. So they are hurting badly. I'm sure the tariff issue is a contributing force. 
but they have manipulated the the yuan, their currency, to favorably negate the tariffs. So they're very smart, they're very resourceful, and they're very diligent and stubborn in their negotiations, and they want it their way, and that's okay. That's smart business. Heretofore, we have not been smart business people with China, our major trading partner. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out, whether it'll be a a short-term solution or this will go on for years. There's lots of arguments on both sides of this discussion that will suggest it may be a longer Cold War than we anticipate. So the tariff issue is certainly going to be a drag on the superlative numbers that we've seen develop in the last couple of years since President Trump took office. How do you respond to his reaction, though? And he said this on 60 Minutes just the other night that he blames the Fed. He says, and I quote, I think the Fed is making a mistake. They're so tight. The Fed has gone crazy, close quote. So what about the notion that as the president sees this, this is more tied into interest rates than tariffs? I think this is a negotiating strategy. He appointed Mr. Powell as the Federal Reserve chairman. He is using the the media to negotiate with Powell, to give him a hint. He doesn't like raising rates. And in theory, Powell is supposed to be influenced by that. But as a separate entity, the Federal Reserve is, they have the full authority to do what they think is proper. But he is just using the airwaves, in my opinion, to say, hey, Mr. Powell, you better slow things down. That's the deal making that this president has. I mean, he look at North Korea, he called him rocket man. He, he put measures against North Korea. And to his credit, he brought North Korea to the table and they're talking about have you seen any rockets going up from North Korea in the last many months no so I think this is his deal making strategy his comments about the Federal Reserve are tipping his hand and saying hey what about the timing on this we are barely three weeks away now from the midterm elections he has an older base the base has one eye on the White House and one eye on Wall Street. If some of this volatility, and we saw, of course, down by a thousand points at one point last week, and while certainly it's not the first time that we've seen sort of this bearish behavior on Wall Street, I've got to wonder whether or not, in your opinion, this could potentially have a negative impact on the outcome of the midterm election. Boy, that's a $64,000 question. I guess you can't say that anymore. 64000 is not a lot of money, but back in the 70s it was. Maybe it's the $64 million question, maybe, or $64 billion question. How will America react to the Kavanaugh hearings allegedly going to influence? Will women stick with President Trump or will they vote against him? That's the big question. And if he holds on to the Senate and loses the House, he'll be okay. If he loses both, it's going to be really tough the last couple of years for him. If he loses both houses, will they impeach this president on some grounds that Russia collusion thing, which uh, I'm not sure what Mr. Mueller's doing, but it's a very important election, Craig, is, your, is the point that you're making. There's, I think, 42 House seats up for grabs. It's a whole lot of seats, and pundits think the Republicans will lose the House but retain the Senate. But who knows? There are too many swing states that can push this thing one way or the other. It's going to really dictate the environment that President Trump will live in for the last two years of his term. So I think that's going to be a big pivoting point. 
So from a standpoint of investor psychology right now, and, and you've commented, as have others, that interest rates right now still aren't chokingly high. If folks remember when it cost 8 9 10% to borrow money to buy a house, we're, we're way off of those numbers. But has there been a shift here in investor psychology just reacting to a myriad of issues, both political and economic? And if so, the average investor, how are they to respond to this? Is this a wait and see what happens? Happens? Does there have to be some sort of a, an action taking place in relationship to a long-term strategy here? Well, a lot of moving parts. Uh, let's talk about interest rates. The last time I looked, the 30-year fixed rate was five and a quarter, five and a half, somewhere north of 5%. Big difference from just a couple short years ago, you can get a 30-year fix for high twos, low, low 3%. Clearly, the real estate market is softening, and all my realtor friends have shared that with me. You're not getting multiple bids, and homes are staying on the market longer. Real estate is one of those industries we watch very carefully as folks are either moving up or buying their first home. Home creation activity generates lots of GDP in terms of you know, wallpaper purchases and lawnmowers and paint and all the things we put into our homes. So if that starts to slow, it has ramifications that cascade through other industries. So interest rates as the core focus clearly has issues that will ripple into other markets. But like you said, it's more not a 10. Five is still historically a reasonable number. It's not extraordinary like it was a couple of years ago. So it will slow, but we'll still have a fairly robust real estate market. It's not going to be wild and crazy like we had. Normalcy is probably returning is the best way I can describe it to the real estate world where you're not going to have your house on the market for two and a half hours and get 12 bids, all of them exceeding the asking price. I mean, that was pretty eccentric environment. So I think we'll still have a somewhat healthy real estate market. It's not going to be as, as wild and, and crazy as, as it was. There's a lot of industries that will be affected by interest rates. Will the companies be expanding and doing R&D to the degree they were? Or will they be as aggressive in building new buildings or hiring? Because, because the cost of all that is, is a little bit higher, nibbling at those profit margins. So it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. But the politics will clearly drive the kind of environment we're going to enjoy or suffer through. Pat, there's a new article available to listeners if they go to don'tinvestandforget.com and click on the Investor Education tab. The article is entitled, Do Interest Rates Matter for Your Retirement Income? Speak to that, if you would, briefly, the correlation between what's going on with the Treasury, bond yields. Do you anticipate folks starting to make a bit of a shift here? Is it too early to tell? Is it too early to take any action based on the volatility we saw last week and this week? Well, for retirees, low interest rates environments are not fun. I mean, people want to have some idle cash hanging around at the bank. And we know in the last many years, the any idle cash at the bank was getting point oh nothing percent. It would be pennies on your statement of what you were getting. So the rise in interest rates, you know, is kind of a lifting feeling for those who want to have some idle cash sitting at the bank. The damage, if you've taken that really ultra conservative money and and got really aggressive because you feel like you've been left out of the party and you're watching the stock market go up, 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 and now you've departed from your money personality and you are taking inordinate risk with heretofore what should have been your ultra-conservative kind of emergency fund, that 
becomes a problem. So from that point of view, retirees kind of like this increasing interest rate environment. If you have a debt of any kind and it's a variable debt, it's a floating rate debt, you've seen your mortgage uh, floating interest rate go from maybe 2% up to 5 plus percent. So debt can get a lot more expensive if you're not careful with your debt load. So can you get better yields on bond income? Absolutely. So for those who are more conservative in their posture and stock markets continue to make you a little nervous, the bond yields are rising nicely. But we've got to be careful if as yields go up, bond prices fall. So we've got to be very sensitive to where this stock market is going from a world record 10-year bull market. Is the bear about to emerge? And will it decimate all those people that, that got too aggressive? We know 2008 was only 10 years ago, and the, the pain of that still may be on people's minds. I get a little anxious when I see ultra-conservative people jumping into the stock market with both feet, it's a big departure with their money personality. I, I get a little anxious about leaving your core money personality because you feel like you've been left out of the party. We want to stick to our guns. And even though fixed income kind of positions have not performed as they have in the past, they're getting better. So I'm encouraging people to really stick to their money personality. If you're conservative and you've taken some element of risk in the stock market, this is not the time to get too aggressive. If you'd like to take advantage of that complimentary initial financial review, simply log on today to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Schedule your appointment or click on the Investor Education tab. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Niche.com, the leading platform for researching U.S. schools and neighborhoods, recently released its 2019 Best Schools Rankings. Now, these rankings analyze more than 85,000 public and private schools nationwide, factoring in Department of Education data, supplemental data collected directly from more than 4,000 schools, and millions of student and parent reviews across factors that include academics, teachers, and safety. Well, we're fortunate to have right here in the Bay Area one of Nietzsche's top-ranked Christian schools right here in the Bay. As I say, it's the King's Academy of Sunnyvale, and joining me now is their head of school, Scott Meadows. Scott, great to have you on the show. So tell us a bit about King's Academy. What kind of school is it? Where is it located? And who do you primarily serve? Great question. Our school, the King's Academy, is located in Sunnyvale, California. Uh, We serve over 950 students generally in grades 6 through 12. We serve a broad socioeconomic mix of families, and we do that by having a robust financial aid program. So we have over 170 students who receive close to a million dollars just to make it able for them to attend the King's Academy. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And in terms of some of the special offerings, the quality of education, of course, at King's is is very special. Talk to us a bit about some of the programs and some of the things that make King's Academy so distinctive. I mean, we're like most schools, and we have a very competitive athletic program, and that's an important part of school. We have over 11 varsity teams that compete in CCS championships. Our football team is 4-1 this year, having beat Hillsdale, San Mateo, and Aragon. Uh, So we have great sports programs. We have a robotics team that placed first in design and robot games at Google Competition last year, helped to defend that again this year. Uh, We have a one-to-one technology program, like many schools have. We do have a different focus. We focus our students on preparing to be responsible digital citizens. We want to connect uh, all of our students to the King Jesus Christ. 
So our focus is a little bit different. It's just not being good at technology, but being good digital citizens. But probably the primary difference that we have between other schools is our spiritual life program. Uh, our students all in the high school go on service trips. We prepare them to be servant leaders and making a difference to others. And in 2019, we have 10 service trips, five in other countries, uh, two in Mexico, Ecuador, Belize, and Brazil, and one to the Philippines. And in the U.S., we have a trip to Kentucky to work in the Appalachian Mountains. We have a trip to Los Angeles that works in the inner city. And we have locally one in East Palo Alto Heights and two in Silicon Valley area with different ministries. So our mission statement uh, states that the King's Academy is a Christ-centered school that inspires academic excellence, servant leadership, and enduring relationships. And that servant leadership component is really what makes us stand out apart from other schools. And certainly for parents, both the spiritual and scholastic results are really key. Many children, no doubt, that come into King's Academy perhaps have had some experience in public schools. As parents give you feedback in relationship to the difference that they see, not only in their students' scholastic output, but most importantly in their spiritual attitude, what kind of feedback do you typically hear? Well, we do get a lot of feedback about the high academic expectations. Uh, we have a strong AP program. I believe our pass rate was over 93% last year. Our college placements are exceptional, outstanding, beating the national averages for most university acceptance rates. So our parents are really keen to compliment us on the job that we do in the academic area. But you're absolutely right. They also want a safe place that's free from bullying, that has a sense of community, that brings about a, a warm welcome on our campus. And we get lots of compliments on that from our parents, that we're a Christ-following, caring school that has dedicated teachers that really want to be involved with the students. These formative years are certainly most important to any student, not only from an educational standpoint, but from character building as well. As you communicate with alumni, what do you hear in terms of some of the things that students really appreciated about their scholastic experience at King's Academy? Our alumni tell us that they really enjoyed the service trips and experience they learned in going to Mexico and building houses and traveling abroad. Uh, lots of special traditions that make this place important to them. Uh, then during relationships on their retreats, we take all of our students uh, in the junior high and high school away on retreats the first couple of weeks of school, and they go out into the mountains and bond and learn team-building exercises. They love those things. Uh, our fall carnival coming up is a great example of community building that we do. But the number one thing we hear over and over again is that our students really value the strong teacher-student relationships they built while they were here. Our teachers invest in the lives of students. They care about them. It's more than just the academics, but they want to pour into them and help transfer some of that servant leadership that they've learned themselves. And that's the number one thing our alumni talk about. For parents that perhaps at the end of the day, Scott, are sort of on the fence, they realize that it is an effort on their behalf to be able to send a child to private schooling. For that parent, what would you say to them in terms of some of the key factors they should be considering as to how King's Academy could make a difference in their student's life? Well, I think that all parents want what's best for their children. They want to find a safe environment and a place that they can send their children to that they will grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what they can get at King's Academy. Lots of schools in Silicon Valley have great academics, but not many places do what we do, and that is that we educate our students for life and for a life of service. So that's what makes us different at King's Academy. 
Our thanks to Head of School Scott Meadows for being with us today from the King's Academy. If you'd like to find out more about King's Academy, you have a terrific opportunity to do so tomorrow because they're having an open house for prospective families starting at 11 a.m. at the campus located at 562 North Britain in Sunnyvale. That's just off of Wolf Road. You can see for yourself what makes King's Academy so special and why it's ranked number one in the Bay Area Nietzsche's rankings of the Bay Area's best Christian schools schools and number six in the entire state. That's 11 a.m. tomorrow for the open house at King's Academy in Sunnyvale. Directions and more on their website at tka.org. That's tka as in the King's Academy, tka.org. If you can't make it tomorrow, just jot this number down. You can give them a call on Monday to learn more and set up a private appointment. 408-481-9900. That's 408-481-9900. And let them know your family's considering the King's Academy. 408-481-9900 or online at tka.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's fairly common. Folks go out because it's their old alma mater or they're aware of... uh, Maybe a school that's gotten some good ranking somewhere, somehow, that they think uh, they're doing the right thing, or because it has a tuition that begins at, you know, $21,000 per week, that it must be the right place to send their kids, because, you know, the more we spend for a car, we typically get a better quality car, better quality house. Is that necessarily true, though, when it comes to a better quality education? Well... My guest in this segment of the program might uh, beg to differ with that. In fact, we're going to talk about how to choose the right college. There is a website, by the way, that you need to know, jot down, and uh, bookmark called collegeguide.org that gives you insights on to some of the best and worst colleges of the U.S., the reasons why, and most importantly, it's not always what you think they ought to be. Now, if you're someone that typically picks up a copy of U.S. News and World Report, a magazine to which I subscribed for many years, and you think that that's the single place to get information, let me dispel that myth right now. John Zimrick joins us on the program. And, John, talk to us a bit about the latest report now, a look at choosing the right college that gives some insights that parents, in fact, uh, might run kind of contrary to what they've otherwise heretofore believed about certain schools. Yes, our emphasis is on showing up what's really going on at these colleges. We're an organization, Intercollegiate Studies Institute, that's existed since 1953. It was founded by William S. Buckley um, immediately after he wrote his famous book, God and Man at Yale, where uh, he was disturbed by just how anti-American and anti-God he found his experience at Yale University, which he would have expected to be a kind of bastion of of Christianity and patriotism, given that it was one of the founding colleges of the United States. But he was quite surprised at what he found. So the Intercollegiate Studies Institute was founded as a kind of support group for students of religious faith, of patriotic values, uh, committed to market economy and to traditional values. And it connects students and faculty across the country as committed to those things. We use our network of contacts associated with all these schools to tell us what's really going on on the campuses. And we use that to produce our biannual 1,000-page report on the leading 130 colleges in the country. 
Some of the information that you're presenting really, as we say, kind of runs contrary to to popular belief. Uh, a lot of the, the, the popular rankings, I, I would suspect, are based on the name, the prestige, the amount of money that they're charging. But that's not always indicative of the quality of instruction, is it? No, not at all. In fact, uh, sometimes it's almost the, the inverse of that. You'll find that at the most prestigious and expensive schools, they're paying the professors primarily to do research and to come up with elaborate and sometimes esoteric academic studies that only two or three hundred people in the whole world will ever read. Now, that's fine in the natural sciences or in engineering, but in literature, really, do we need the 400th book in the last two years on Shakespeare? Or even worse, do we need books on really esoteric subjects such as, like, lesbian influence on graphic novels? Um, well, you'll find that the best professors at these schools often spend most of their time on research while teaching is relegated to graduate teaching assistants, you know, people working on their Ph.D. All right. That said, one of the, the things that you outline inside of this survey, and again, a lot of the information available on the web at collegeguide.org, is this idea that some of the best-known so-called prestigious schools turn out to be train wrecks. What do you mean by that? By train wreck, we mean a place that has a lot of potential, that has many millions of dollars in resources, that is squandering them on political activism or on esoteric subjects or on uh, building elaborate, comfortable student lounges so that the students can, can treat the school like, like a, a resort. Um, and, and several schools we identified, uh, Wesleyan University in Connecticut, which you know might sound like a nice Methodist school, but in fact is entirely secular and one of the most anti-Christian and, and, and I have to say, um, licentious colleges I've ever heard of. Not only are the dormitories co-ed or the, and the bathrooms co-ed, even the dorm rooms are co-ed. Every dorm room can potentially be co-ed, so couples can hook up on the college's dime in the college's dormitory. And the school, uh, the school is a gay lesbian student center that has a lending library of, of really sadistic pornography. It, it's just staggering what goes on at a school named for a man like John Wesley, and that parents are paying forty thousand dollars a year so that their kids can be exposed to it. Why does a lot of this information tend to elude some of the more traditional resources? And I don't want to pick on U.S. News and World Report, but why does some of this backstory about, uh, you know, not just the, the, the rankings in terms of the caliber of education, but the, the intellectual atmosphere, the quality of instruction, student life, the, the, what goes on behind the scenes, why does so much of this tend to sort of elude some of the perhaps better-known ranking systems? Well, because they don't have an overt philosophy of education. They're just looking at the numbers. They're trying to be value neutral. And in that way, they're accepting the kind of relativistic philosophy that underlies so much of education. We have an overt educational philosophy. It is the traditional liberal arts mission that helped create the American college system that uh, John Henry Newman talked about in the idea of a university, um, that the Jesuits used in forming their colleges, that the Protestant reformers used in forming Yale and Harvard and Princeton. We're willing to say, yes, we choose one set of values over another. This set of values seems to us more in consonance with the Western tradition. So we are going to choose schools that do a better job of reflecting that tradition. All right. With all that said, you're ranking everything from the intellectual atmosphere, quality of the instruction. Uh, do, you, do you take into consideration the political bent of the school as well? 
we do. We, we, we look for schools where there is not a uniform, monolithic, typically liberal or feminist or multicultural atmosphere that would make conservative or Christian students feel unwelcome. Um, it's a really widespread problem that colleges are just not wholesome places where you can feel free to express your ideas and, and the values you live by. And, and in the universities, they're supposed to be a place of free exchange, but they've increasingly become places of indoctrination. So we highlight schools where they aren't necessarily conservative or Christian, but they are open. They, they have academic freedom. Students can feel free to express their views without fear of being graded down or expelled or prosecuted by the school for, for, for saying what they believe. And that's, a, that's not as universal as you would hope, that kind of academic freedom. Academic freedom tends to cut just one way at most colleges. It cuts to the left. There's also another uh, kind of a monster lurking in the background here in the room that a lot of folks tend to kind of ignore, and that is the notion that uh, quite often we, we fail to count the real cost. We look at sort of, okay, this is what the tuition is going to be. You also take a look at uh, the average expense that students will have in terms of student loans and the ongoing indebtedness too, don't you? I think that, yes, the most important number to look at, because, you know, a lot of schools have high tuition and a lot of financial aid, and they cancel out. The thing to look at is the average student loan debt of a recent graduate. That tells you that's where the rubber hits the road. The average American student graduates with a debt of $25,000. That's more than most of them will earn upon graduation. That's such a weight to be carrying. That's, such a, that's the kind of thing that slows down people's attempts to form families or to get married. It certainly prevents them from owning homes and, and starting a nest egg. So that's the kind of challenge we'd rather see people not have to face as recent college graduates. Folks want to get more information. Uh, we've mentioned about the website, collegeguide.org. Right, and the book we published, Choosing the Right College, which is available from Amazon.com and at major bookstores. Excellent. Again, Choosing the Right College, an invaluable resource. And again, through Amazon.com, the usual suspects as well. Details, too, on the web at collegeguide.org. And our thanks to John Zamrip. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Joining me today in studio, a very special guest. He is the host of a new broadcast called New Hope Christian Fellowship, heard Sundays at 10.30 a.m. right here on KFAX, pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship in the city of Hayward. And joining us today is Pastor Timothy Russell. Pastor, good to see you. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. We were just having some conversation off the air before the broadcast today. In addition to your responsibilities, you've got a ministry program here on KFAX. You also have a couples ministry with your wife, Vanessa, here on KFAX. We'll talk a bit more about that later on. But in addition to your ministerial responsibilities, uh, you're in the tent-making business, and yes. that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Paul was in the tent-making business as well. And so toward that degree, you work for an organization that essentially coaches young entrepreneurs and how to get it right. And that's it's amazing right. because you look at such a vast percentage of new startup businesses these days that tend to fail and fail utterly for primarily two things, either undercapitalization 
or quite frankly, just a lack of skill and know-how. They have the desire, they might have the customer service skills, but the back-end administrative skills are lacking, or they know how to administer the back-end, but they have no sense on how to deal with the customer and deal with the public or, or maybe deal with employees and HR-related issues. And, and so we see a lot of companies end up struggling and failing because they essentially don't have their house in order. That's right. And I find it fascinating in so much as what you do then essentially Monday through Friday is not altogether different from what you do in the pulpit on Sundays and on radio in the sense of providing mentorship, maybe a better word is even discipleship. That's right. Yeah, I, you, you hit it right on the nose. I need to hire you to, so you can come uh, work with me. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. So many individuals, they have a passion, but they don't know how to turn that passion to profit. And and it requires more than just making the cookie. Oh, I make a great cookie and everybody likes it. It's I got to know how to make the cookie. I had to know how to have a marketing plan for the cookie. I need to have the right employees to help me sell the cookie and and bake the cookie. And it, it's a whole lot that goes into business. And I am very fortunate to work for an awesome organization, um, Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center, that that takes the time every single day and has been doing it for 32, going on 33 years, um, to help individuals start and then in many cases help individuals grow their business because you'll be amazed how many are out there doing business and because they're gifted, but they could be doing business a lot better if they had the right tools and the right people around them to do the business well. So make it, bake it, sell it, grow it. Yeah. And then the backdoor administration that sometimes, even if you get all the front end working great, then you find out some company that had such a great reputation suddenly is going out of business because the IRS has rolled in and said, well, there's $14 million in unpaid employee benefits, Social Security benefits, and taxes that somehow the company just never got around to paying. Yeah. Yeah, and and not even knowing they had to pay it because, like we were talking earlier, um, sometimes we have a loyalty that will hurt our business. Yeah, I, I tell entrepreneurs all the time, Aunt Jenny cannot do your books. You know, Uncle Joe cannot do your books. And though they may have been there from the beginning when you didn't have nothing and they invested that dollar for you um, to be successful. You have to have skilled people around you that can tell you, we need to do it this way. We need to report this. We need to make sure this is right. And that's building a business that's sustainable. And uh, that's one of the main things we want business owners to know. Build a sustainable business and a legal business. So we have consultants that come in and teach on business law, financial consultants, marketing consultants, because we want it to be a sustainable business. Having your business house in order. That's good. Does that also then translate into having one's spiritual house in order from a ministry standpoint? And I ask that question, Pastor Russell, because I'm struck by the commonality of not only sometimes the struggles that young emerging businesses have, but even young emerging churches may have Mm -hmm. in the sense that, well, the old adage, my people perish for lack of knowledge. That's right. That's right. You know, you Again, you're hitting on some great points. Um, 
a lot of times when we're in church, we say this is the business of God. And this is God's business. Well, like I said to you earlier, if it's God's business, we should be doing it a lot better than we do any other business. And with that, we need all the knowledge we can get in order to make him proud, make him happy, make him know that he can trust us with what he's giving us to do. And it's not just about getting in the pulpit and saying, open up your Bible and let me teach you this. It's about making sure from A to Z we're handling the business of God correctly. And I don't want to be one to just lift my hand and say, hallelujah, God is good. But then when it comes to the business side of the church, I'm not handling it the right way. And, of course, that can apply in a broad variety of areas when it comes to ministry, not just simply how we, for example, keep the books. Yeah. But but even the way we live out church life Mm -hmm. before the world, where the world can be so quick to not only criticize, but oftentimes see the flaws that we ourselves don't see. I mean, it's interesting. You talk to any non-believer, and they can probably give you a laundry list 20 pages long of all the things that we're supposed to be against. Yeah. And yet oftentimes we ourselves don't even understand as believers what it is that we are standing for. Right, right. You know, that's a good point. Uh, I, I, I tell my church all the time, I say, hey, um, we we do a great job teaching people how to be hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the church should be a place where flaws are on display because it's the song, the song that uh, I love by Hillsong. They said, my sin was great, but his love was greater. And if we really believe that, then we can come in the church and say, hey, let me be transparent here. Let me be naked here because in this place, it's a safe place for me to have the healing that I need. And I believe then the non-believer will look into the church and say, you know what? I, I really respect the fact that they're not acting like they have tea every single morning with Jesus because I don't. Um, but my sin is ever before me, and that's what gets me on my knees every day and say, Lord, you're using me, and it's by your grace, by your mercy, by your love that, you know, I am who I am. It's not by my own doing. And and so there's a health to that. There's a spiritual health to that. And then I think talking about the things we need to talk about in small groups and in bringing in knowledgeable people to talk about them helps us be a healthy church and a church that's respected by the non-believer, you know, because they can't come in if they don't respect us. Visiting today with Pastor Timothy Russell, Senior Pastor at New Hope Christian Fellowship in the city of Hayward. More information, by the way, available on the web at hope4hayward.com. That's hope4hayward.com. The broadcast, New Hope Christian, heard Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. and equally yoked Saturdays at 12 noon right here on KFAX. We'll tell you more about both of the programs coming up right after a quick timeout. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.